Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Injuries and running. Nobody wants to talk about the taboo topic of injuries when it comes to run training, but it's something that a lot of athletes deal with their running career. Some runners, they just seem to never get injured no matter what they do, but other runners, even if they train smart, do all the right steps, they will end up with an injury. Um, So today I have Jason, who is going to be talking about his experience with running and injuries. Um, He's a 246 marathoner and he is an injury prone runner um, who has to take certain steps to really avoid that. And he's very careful. So welcome to our show again, Jason. Thank you for having me again. It is so funny um, that we both are athletes and runners, and I'm someone who I'm more of a durable athlete. Uh, I can do really foolish things with my training and just not ever really end up getting injured. It's just more of a, you know, some people are just genetically built where their body can handle certain things better than others. Um, Whereas Jason, he is a a lot more talented of a runner than I am, but he's just a lot more prone to injury. Um, so like increasing his mileage and a lot of things like adding new workouts, those sort of things he has to take very, very carefully. And even if he follows all the right steps, sometimes um, he can even end up with an injury where he has to take a couple of weeks off. Um, so it was funny because we were going up to grandma's this weekend and we were listening to another podcast, the rambling runner, and he was interviewing a Nazi elite coach. And he said that there are are three components to talent. And the first component is what we all kind of think of, you know, the guy in gym class who's naturally faster than everyone else. You know, some people are just built and given that speed and endurance um, right off the bat. And that's really easy to tell. The next component is having those durable tendons, bones, and ligaments. Um, So that's kind of one factor that Jason maybe doesn't have that I have. Um, And then the third is obviously going to be mental toughness and, you know, how much can you push and uh, how well you handle pain. So uh, given all of that, did you kind of resonate with that podcast and kind of say, oh, wow, I guess I'm lacking one of the three or how did you like the way that he spelled that out? Yeah, I really did like it. Um, You know, he talked about in order to be to reach your like full potential as a runner and be super successful, you need to have that strong combination of all three. And I did feel like, you know, I've really only met my full potential in maybe one race and that's the one mile back in college. Um, but since college, I, I feel like I, I just haven't, haven't been able to reach it in the 5k half or full. Um, and that is a big reason why is the durability. Um, so I've always felt like I did carry two of those three components pretty, pretty well. I, I don't feel like I really lack mental toughness. Um, or that natural talent, because I've always kind of been an endurance person, you know, thinking back to being a kid on the playground and, and in gym class and that sort of thing. So frustrating, but, you know, you've learned to kind of to cope with it over the years and to modify your training. 
Right. And I'm sure some people listening, they're like, geez, well, I actually don't have any of the three or I only have one of the three. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, you do have that that edge to you. So you do have most of it, but it's just the durability. And that's what can really be frustrating. Um, and I know you said that you think that you reached your potential in the one mile in college. Um, but I know that you struggled with injuries even before that race. So kind of tell me about like your first injury and what happened and how you had to treat it. Yeah, my first time I ever remember being injured was freshman year um, cross country. So you know, we I had a pretty good month of August uh, mileage wise. I was probably running, you know, 45 to 50 miles a week. And for me, that was much higher than I had ever ran before in high school. So heading into camp, I was looking forward to kind of being one of the top freshmen and making an impact right away for the team. Um, and we would do two or three days right away um, at, at camp. And so camp was like a three day thing. And I made it through like the first day and a half. And then all of a sudden I was experiencing this knee pain. And it was the outside of my knee, basically where the IT band connects. And so it got to the point where it was so painful, I couldn't do any running um, once we left camp. I missed the first race. Um, you know, at camp, too, I should mention, we did do some some different types of, of things that I hadn't been used to. Like we were doing some jump roping, um, different types of plyometrics on, on gravel and on dirt. So kind of form drills, stuff like that. So, um you know, I probably also wasn't the best at changing my shoes as frequently as I should have. So that probably played a role as well. Um, but long story short, I, I was, we ended up discovering what the injury was and it was due to just repetitive running on the IT band and not getting it stretched out properly. And so, um, changing paces, I was able to start to kind of do more like fast speed stuff. And that kind of didn't bother, which was surprising. Um, and then I started to see a PT, which helped. Right. So just to paint a picture, when you headed into your freshman year of college, um, you were probably, were you one of the faster runners on the team? Were they anticipating that you would be, you know, one of the fastest? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, based on my high school times for the 5K, I was a 1602 in high school. So I think that was probably among the fastest coming in that year. Um, we actually did have another freshman come last minute he was a kind of a red shirt transfer from the university of wisconsin badgers so he was a really solid athlete i mean his 5k was probably in the low 15s um so it, it was basically him and i but a lot of people viewed him as as a sophomore since he had already been in college for a year but um and he actually only ended up staying for the fall semester and then he quit school so um so i was on my own by the time we hit track season anyways but yeah, it was really frustrating that everyone else was out there getting to run that first race, and then I had to miss it, and I kind of just felt like I had a really slow start to that season. So essentially, you came into the team. Everyone is anticipating you are going to be the fastest. You go to this camp with a bunch of other people. Um, they're already thinking, you know, like, this guy has more potential, and then you guys do all the same training and the same exact thing, and you're the one who ends up getting hurt. Yeah, I think – I had to take some time off after that. And so coming back, I had lost a decent amount of fitness. So it took, it took a few races, but as you know, as the season went on, I think people started to realize, okay, he's improving every race. He's moving up on the team. Um, And then by conference and regionals, the two races at the end of the year there in October, I was number two on the team behind, behind our stud transfer D one athlete. So, um, so yeah. And I think, you know, at the very end of that season, we had run the 8K, um, which is five miles on a cross-country course. 
in IT at the time. I actually went from running 27, like 2710 at conference to running 2547 at sectionals two weeks later. So um, I just skipped the 26 minute range altogether. And I think a lot of that was due to just finally getting consistent running in again, being healthy, and then peaking uh, with doing more of my kind of workouts at the end of the year, like shorter stuff, 400s and stuff like that. Right. So I guess the part that's really interesting to me is I think sometimes people, so you're coming in, you're, you're pretty much the same athletic ability as these guys. You have the same background. You're maybe even a little bit faster than them. Um, and yet you weren't able to handle that same training load um, because you would get injured. And I always find that really interesting how you can have two athletes of the same ability um, or, you know, a group of athletes, same ability level, um, and they all need different types of training in order to thrive. And so, for example, you were given the same training as all those other guys um, and you just, it it broke you because you don't have that that durability piece. Um, And it's really interesting for people to understand that it doesn't have anything to do with like, your potential or your ability in the sport. Um, you might be faster than one of your friends, but your friends can handle a higher mileage. That that doesn't mean that anything about like your abilities. It just means right. that it's more about your durability of your body. Um, what can your body handle? And so you ended up having to modify a lot that first year and then just discovering what works for you. And was there a lot of... Um, you were kind of forced to hold back and not do as much because you didn't want to get injured or how did your training look compared to someone else on the team who was maybe a little bit slower than you, um, but they never got injured. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I realized pretty quickly that, you know, anytime I do a long, a pretty long run, I felt kind of destroyed from it and I'd rather, but I could respond pretty quickly after tough workouts. So it was, it was the mileage that I noticed was, was affecting me. And so, we had teammates who would run, you know, 70 to 80 miles a week. And I was just kind of thriving more in the 40 range all throughout college, pretty much every year. And I just focused more on quality and at least taking maybe one day a week to rest. Um, so that I was recovering. And I know, I I know my sophomore year, I did do 80 miles just one week just to see if I could handle it, but probably wasn't the smartest thing at the time. Um, but junior and senior year, I was pretty smartly running between 40 and 50 miles every week. Right. That's really interesting. And for people listening, they might think that that sounds like a lot, but for your level, um, running, like if translating to the road, that would be similar to like a low, um, 15 minute 5k, like a 1530. That's the type of shape that you were in. Um, and you were running 40 to 50 miles a week. So most of the guys on your team were probably running double that. Well, maybe not on our team, but, uh, if you compared my times, like my performance to the other, the other guys in the conference, for example, were running similar times they were all running much higher mileage like 70 to 80 miles a week because we'd get together and we'd do warm-ups before races sometimes and you'd get chatting and um you'd also see people post their workouts and their mileage on let'srun.com and stuff like that so that always kind of made me feel a bit like not insecure but maybe just wondering man i wonder how much faster i could be if i was running that kind of mileage but i just weighed the the outcome i was i always thought well if i run that fast I'm going to be hurt or if I run that far I'm probably going to be hurt and I won't be able to run at all so it's just smarter to just cut back a bit and to feel feel stronger come race day right so you said one year that you did end up trying to run you know like 180 mile week um what happened or like how did you feel when you were experimenting with like the higher mileage or trying to do what your peers were doing um like how did your body respond um 
you know, that was a long time ago, but I don't, I don't recall it ever really taking a toll on me. I think I really dialed back the next week. Um, I think I did a lot of two days that week. That's how I achieved 80 miles. But, um, I think if I would have done it consistently, it definitely would have burnt me out or got me injured. So I think the other thing is too, when you do that sort of training, sometimes you don't, it doesn't injure you or impact you right, you know, right away within that week or the next week, even it might just take a few more weeks of that added stress and adaptation of your body. Um, you know, the pounding of the mileage over and over. And so I think I did end up injured that indoor season. So a couple months later, um, you know, I was hurt again. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it or if it was just changing, getting on the indoor track and maybe doing, you know, doing some intense workouts flying around the small track. Um, but either way, I think that people underestimate the impact it can have on, on a more long-term basis too. Right. That's a really good point. I liked how you brought it up saying, um, that later in the year, maybe it catches up with you. And that's something that I see and hear a lot. Um, you know, your body's the durability factor that can really range. It's not like you're going to go out for, you could go out for, you know, like a long run and and do like a high mileage week and it might not impact you right away. It probably won't, but it's that, accumulation over time like how can your body respond when it's in this inflammation inflamed state um there's just a lot of factors that go into it and i think sometimes athletes they get the impression because they handled one week of higher mileage or they handled you know a month of it that they can do it long term and then they end up injured and then they're confused as to why they're injured so that's a really good point that look back on trends it might be something that happened you know you started three to six months ago and that's why you ended up in the injury state that you're in right now. Right. Exactly. Um, and I think we, you know, we hear, we often hear about the elites, how they're running in the hundred mile range. And, um, so obviously we all think that we need to up our mileage, right. If we want to reach our full potential, but we just have to remember that they're, you know, they've been probably running most of their entire lives and they're training full time and they have a lot of other, you know, preventative factors in place that are going to help them stay healthy. So I'm sure we'll get into some of those as we talk here about, about, um, how to deal with injuries, um, and how to adjust when we are injured. So, right. And how you mentioned the elite athletes, a lot of those elite athletes, um, kind of going back to that podcast on the rambling runner, how those, there's those three factors, a lot of those elite athletes, they have all three. So they Correct. have that durability factor. So if you're watching someone's training who has that durability factor and you don't, um, right. that's not really fair to compare your training to theirs. It's never fair to compare training, but it's especially not when you're comparing your training to someone who can really just handle the mileage and never break. Right. And I, I think it is possible to become more durable as you become a stronger runner but it's just it's such a long progressive road you have to be so smart and in tune with your body and do all the right things um you know and slowly add over time right that's a good point the human body is amazing and it definitely can adapt over time and it does adapt and you get better at and your body understands how to recover faster but everyone kind of does that at their own rate and that's why it's hard when people ask like oh, you know, I can run a five-hour marathon now. How long does it take until I can run 
a Boston qualifying time. And it's like, well, it just really depends, you know, on those three factors, like how, how durable is your body? How is your body going to respond to training? And those are all kind of unknown and everyone's a little bit different. Um, and everyone's going to adjust at a different rate. Yep. Right. So as your current fitness right now, um, so you're in like your mid thirties right now. Um, so these college days are, you know, over a decade, a decade and a half ago that we're referring back to. Um, so right now you're in about like 1645 K shape. Um, and so I'm just curious, like if you wanted to share with the listeners, kind of what does your training look like currently? And, um, like, why does it look like that? Um, kind of explaining what happened two years ago with your injuries and how you got to where you are now. Yeah. I'll I'll talk about my training here in a sec. I feel like part of the reason I haven't trained harder is because I've had so many hiccups over the years where they've been little setbacks. Right. And so part of that frustration is, um, you see that you become impatient. You see that you're slowly maybe losing a little bit of fitness, but I do think it's possible that if I was more of a motivated runner, I could have been, you know, on the bike, I could have been cross training and I could have prevented those, you know, that fitness from being lost. And I just think I'm at a, a point in my life here. I've been in the point in my life for the last probably five years where running just hasn't been as important to me as it was in college. Like in college, it was everything. So I would do every little thing I could do to, you know, to be the best I could be. But now it's more, it's more of a hobby and a pastime for me. So um, my training now is kind of by choice. I don't, I still think I could be faster if I really put in more time and more effort, but it just requires more energy and thinking about going to the PT more frequently, you know, when something starts to flare up and maybe hitting the gym on a more regular basis than I do now. Cause right now I might only go once a week. Um, so I'm probably running about five to six days a week. I make sure I take at least one rest day, sometimes two. And then my recovery easy days are always around 30 minute runs, probably around eight minute pace. So it's pretty slow. Um, and then I'll do an occasional workout every week or every other week, uh, which may consist of, like a tempo or some intervals on the track. Um, and then long runs were sort of inconsistent depending on if I'm training for a longer race or not. But um, as we get to summer here, thinking about maybe a fall race, I'm probably going to st- try to do a, uh, a long run every weekend. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't feel the need to get out and run six to seven miles every day. I'm fine with doing four on an re- easy recovery day. And I'm fine with running slower than what you know, Jack Daniels VDOT calculator tells me I should be running based on my 5k time. It probably tells me my easy pace should be between 655 and 730 pace. Um, right. And I know that you said I'm going pretty slow. I'm going eight minute pace. Um, but for yeah. you, that is slow. So like you, you're running like five, like five twenties for, um, a 5k. So you're going about two and a half minutes per mile slower than your 5k pace um, on most days if not slower um just for anyone listening and so i I think do you think that like keeping those easy days really easy and short um helps you i i do yeah it helps me stay fresh and kind of motivated to crush workouts or let's say i want to do a longer maybe tempo run or something i just feel more more fresh and more motivated to do it because i'm not um you know, and I was always the type of runner too, where especially when I got into my late twenties, early thirties, as I talked about earlier, my priorities had kind of shifted. And so I was always thinking about other things that I should be doing while I was running. 
and that kind of made me want to rush to get through my runs quicker or just cut it at three or four miles. And so it kind of goes back to how motivated you are, how patient you are, what are really your, your goals. And, you know, if you're a super driven runner, I think it's possible to accomplish anything, even if you aren't that durable. Um, but for me, it's just about kind of where, I, where I've been at the last five years. Um, and right now I'm at a place where, you know, I'm kind of secure and stable with, with where I'm at. And I'd like to maybe focus more on the training. And so I'm, I'm willing to um, kind of go overboard on some of those other aspects like the strength training or um, making sure I'm doing a better job with nutrition and being proactive with seeing a PT. Because anytime I have, I have a history of calf pain, so we'll talk about that coming up here when we get to the common, you know, running injuries. But anytime I start to feel that calf start to be tight or a slight strain, I'll make sure I get on it right now and take care of it. Because if it if it's a full calf tear, you're going to be out for quite some time. Right. So when you say right away, um, I know you're pretty cautious about it. So on this pain scale, or is it even not even painful? You just kind of feel something a little off and you're like, okay, I'm taking a rest day. Or how do you know it's time to be cautious? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the, on what it is we're, I'm feeling, you know, if it's, if it's my hip tightness or my low back or something, I've ran through that stuff. I've just tried to do extra like stretching um, and maybe go see the PT. But as far as like, if it's calf related, the calf to me is so delicate um, and I've, I've had calf injuries where I literally can't run another step because it cramps so tight and it just, it's a, it's a calf tear. And so my PT, he works with me on, on helping me learn when those adhesions are forming, you know, you got to take care of them and strengthen them and get rid of them before they turn into like a full muscle tear, because that's going to cramp up with, as soon as the blood starts flowing to that muscle or is unable to get, you know, to a certain part in that muscle, that's what you're, that's what you're feeling. And so it's kind of like a Charlie horse in the calf. I've had probably four or five of those over the last seven years. Um, that's what kept me out of my first marathon when I was training for that. We talked about that on the last podcast. Um, after my 20 miler, I basically raced that and ran way too fast and created a little calf problem. And um, so right now, anytime I'm feeling tightness in that, I will scale it back. I'll cut the workout short. I will go to the gym, do my eccentric kind of calf cons- um work exercises that he showed me there's about two or three different ones I can do to help kind of make it feel better and right away you notice a difference so it's pretty remarkable how in tune I've become with with my body right so your weak spot is kind of your calf area other people listening they might you know have a knee or a hamstring thing that's kind of like an on and off situation but I think the main message you're saying is just if you have something that's chronic ongoing for a long time like it's been bugging you it's better to be proactive take that time and then doing those PT exercises I think a lot of people think it's maybe like a placebo or it's something that doesn't work, which is crazy to me. Um, Is it just, yeah. Why do you think that it works? Because I know that it doesn't, it's, it's because there's imbalances in your body. um, And that's, you know, the source of why this is happening to you. Um, And I think it's really important to treat the source. Um, Right. I I just don't know how to like hit that home with people. I, I personally think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of runners out there have this, misconception of if you're injured you need to just rest right and I feel like 
yes, that's true if your injury is related to like a stress fracture or a bone, like a ligament related injury, you know, you need to let that bone heal. If it's related to a muscular tendon issue, I feel like you need to treat it as best you can with, with massage, active release therapy, with, you know, some eccentric contracting of the muscle, any sorts of strengthening that you can do. And obviously you want to consult with a professional who's going to give you the prescribe the right exercise to do for it. Um, and I just feel like that's going to help, like you said, kind of retrain that muscle. Um, it's going to stimulate the muscle in a way that strengthens the fibers around it and hopefully help get rid of any adhesions that are formed. Um, because a lot of those are occurring as a result of just overuse. And so you need to use the muscle differently in order to get it to kind of open back up and to get it healed. Um, so that's kind of been my experience with it. If it's, you know, and if it's IT band related, that's such a common running injury. I feel like that's, that's pretty simple to, as long as you don't let it become chronic, I mean, you can, you can run through that as long as you're getting treatment and you know, you have a good PTU who can stretch you out. Um, or you're using the foam roller if that works for you too. But I would say the, and the calf thing, the thing about that is that can easily turn into problems with plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis. And so you definitely want to take care of your calves, make sure you're doing some sort of prevent preventative exercises for that. Right. And I know that you mentioned a lot of runners, they have this misconception of, Oh, just rest. And you know, it'll just magically yeah. heal itself, nope. um, which couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and it's unfortunate because a lot of people, they think that if they're just going to rest it, um, like an IT band thing, it's something that's not probably going to go away with rest, which is hard to hear. And then they also don't want to go into right. a sports medicine I mean, doctor and get an MRI because if it's yeah. that sort of injury, it's not going to show up on an MRI. Um, but MRIs are super expensive for sure. I, I don't blame people for not wanting to go and get some in imaging done. And I think honestly, sometimes people don't know like where to start or where to go and seeing an active release therapist. A lot of people have never heard of what they are or a physical therapist, um, I think are great options to start at. And then from, from that perspective, those are medically trained professionals and they can say, okay, um, I think you do need an MRI, um, or not. Yeah. Uh, but when you go into an orthopedic, uh, place right away they're going to do imaging right off the bat um, yeah I agree I think it's right. best to go to a PT or you know you could even go to a chiropractor some some of them have like different techniques that they use to stimulate muscles like Graston technique sometimes that's useful if you're just feeling a little like tightness or soreness so you could try that um, which is like a little little metal device that they use to just kind of break up the, the muscle fibers um yeah, so, I think it's just really important to go in like as soon as you, you know, feel like you're getting injured. I think this is really important to like know because sometimes people, uh, they don't go in, they don't want to get seen, um, you know, just go and see a medical professional because they're going to be the best at diagnosing you. They're going to be able to help you. They're going to be able to treat you. And the sooner that you can get a diagnosis and a treatment plan, the better off you're going to be in the long run. Um, it's just really important yeah. to not try to play guessing games and all that stuff or self-diagnose, uh, right. Google, Dr. Google, all that stuff. Um, Which we're just, all guilty of doing at some point. Right, but, right. But um, for me, it's like, I'll drive myself crazy. I'll be like, oh my gosh, I think I have this. And it's just like, go see my doctor. Like my doctor knows, yeah. you know, and he'll be able to refer me um, to other places. So it's really important, I think, to find someone in your area that, you trust is like your running doctor, someone who can help you with all of these flare ups that might be happening. Um, 
in you're your listening life. in Minnesota and you don't have a good doctor, then let us know because we definitely know a few. Um, but we, you know, another story about the calf was that I I experienced the rest phase where I just try to take rest and hope that that helped heal it. And it didn't. I'd go run a month later and it would still cramp on me. And so I know for a fact that going and getting it treated is was the fastest way to get a heal because I went in. Um, I got five treatments in a period of two and a half weeks and I was back running. So that was the fastest recovery I'd ever had experienced with that injury. Um, and so you have to progress back obviously slowly as well and be smart about it. I, I started with one minute walk, one minute jog. So, um, it's just, it's frustrating, but you need to, you need to just be, be honest about the injury and, and take care of it. Right. It's so interesting. If you don't know what to do, it's okay to ask somebody or, you know, ask your coach if you're being coached by somebody. So, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting how you said, um, going to the doctor helped you versus just resting, how you rested for a full month and literally had zero progress. Um, and I know my first injury in running was, I don't know, like six years ago. And, you were like, Oh, go, go see, um, you know, our doctor, he's really good. He does, um, active release therapy and physical therapy. And I just kind of was like, no, I'll just rest it. Cause I thought I could manage it. And you know, runners, they do these like crazy things. They like rationalize things that don't make sense. And I went, I only went to the doctor once or twice for it, but I was very frustrated because I wasn't seeing improvements, even with the two visits. But it's something that requires more than just two visits, right? So, like, then I I started going back, you know, two months later, and he's like, okay, just commit to coming a few more times. And as frustrating as that is to, like, take time off of work, go do your PT, commit to doing the exercises every day, plus, you know, going to the doctor. It's really a frustrating process, and I don't think enough people talk about, like, how frustrating that can be um, when all you want to do is just be able to run. But that's the only thing that healed it. Cause it was something that was ongoing. Um, it was like this knee it, it band, but it was really, I had like tendonitis in my quad. And so I was feeling knee pain. Um, and I had no idea what it was. I was very confused and the doctor knew what it was right away, but it's like, I had all this buildup, you know, going on and I yeah, just needed to, yep, exactly. yep. I had a lot of doubt because it's like, I didn't see results after the first two times that I went and then I'm like, well, screw it, you know, and that's a really bad attitude if you're injured because it's, it's a lifelong thing and you only get one body. And so if you're going to play the game, like I can just run through this or I'm going to be okay. This isn't working for me. It's going to be a recipe for disaster in the long term because you're not addressing the problem at hand. And as frustrating as it can be to, you know, take that time off of running and take that time off of work to go see a doctor. Um, it's for your long-term success that you're doing that. Yep, exactly. Yep, we have, you should have a good relationship with your PT or ART specialist, a chiropractor, just as you would a you know general doctor. Right. Um, and I know... Yeah, especially if you plan to be a lifelong runner, for sure. And part of the hardest part of being injured is having to take that time off when all of your friends are training. And, you know, some people might, they might be injured right now listening to this and all their friends are, you know, gearing up for Chicago or Twin Cities Marathon. And here they are not running at all. 
Um, I think that's mentally like one of the hardest parts is when you just want to be running and you can't. Um, and I know that you've had a lot of time where you've had to take, you know, a month or longer off of running um, due to yeah. injuries. So what are some things that help you cope or like what sort of attitude adjustments do you make when you're injured? Um, I think I'll try to focus on other things to kind of get my mind off it. But at the same time, you know, like if you're traveling to races with your spouse or with your friends and, and you just feel like left out, you know, if you have some of that FOMO, then that, that can be hard to deal with. But I think just trying to be happy for them and kind of live, live, live through them and just uh, use, use some of that to motivate and inspire you for when you are healthy. Um, and then when you are finally training, running again, you need to really think about, you know, how, how is it making you feel compared to when you weren't able to do it and just let that really launch you into a fresh new mindset, um, some fresh goals, Maybe, maybe you're going to be more disciplined with doing something differently with your training to ensure that you can actually, you know, stay healthy longer term. Um, and actually, I've been fairly healthy now for probably about two or three years. So I think I've just kind of found what I need to do. And um, I know next we're going to be talking about some of those tips for people who are training through a marathon who are injury prone. And so... Uh, one of my tips would be like, just, just do less than what you think you're capable of. If you're, if you have a history of being injured, um, I probably do, I don't know, 70% of what I feel like I could do. You know, I've had coaches write me plans before and I've looked at it and I'm like, huh, if I do all that, I'm probably going to end up injured. So I have to modify some of the workouts that I've done, um, or just do less, you know, less slow down a little bit or do less of the number of sets. So that's one piece of advice I would have is just um, do a little bit less than what you think you're capable of because that way you're not redlining and you're, 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 you're able to run. Right. I think that's good advice, even if you're not injury prone. I know a lot yep. of runners, they're very ambitious people. They're very type A. They want to follow the plan to a T. It's hard to back off. Um, and I think just even if you're not injury prone and you're listening to this, like that's still good advice to follow because – it's better True. to be slightly undertrained for a race than it is to be overtrained or injured at the start. Because if you're just slightly undertrained, what is like five seconds per mile? Yeah. But if you're injured, you, I mean, you're either not starting or if you're overtrained, uh, that's a recipe for like big blow ups. You know, like those are the like the ones where you're like, whoa, I thought you were capable of a lot more. Um, so I'm always ear on the side of do a little bit less. Because we do a lot more than just running. We're not professional athletes, kind of like how you were talking about elites before. Like, that's not us. You know, y you guys all have regular jobs and families and hobbies outside of running. So just understanding that the stress does impact you. And it, you might have a longer recovery time than you think you do in your head. Or if you compare yourself to other people or the past version of you, like, 20 years, 20 years ago. So it's just good to, like ease into things and really back off. Um, I think what's really interesting earlier is you mentioned when you come back from an injury that you do run walks. And I think that would pretty much surprise everyone. Cause I know um, I interact with the runners a lot and I hear, unfortunately it's like nails on chalkboard. They say, Oh, I just did my first run back. I did three to four miles. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that I is know. not, that's too much. And it's counterintuitive because you think, oh, well, I can run three or four miles. What's so bad about that? So it kind of explain your um, rationale with the run walks. Yeah, I think um, the purpose is not to obviously get a workout in. It's really about 
um, coming back and making your body feel strong. Like you should finish each run or workout with the thought of, oh, I could have done, I could double that or I could do more because that way you're not going to have any setbacks. And so I started with like one minute on, one minute off for maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just for 10 minutes one day. And then the next day, maybe I did it for uh, 15 or 20 minutes. And then the third day I would do two minutes, I would try. And then I would work my way up to three minutes. And so for the first like week, I wouldn't even really do a full mile without stopping for an entire week. Um, and then eventually, obviously I would try to do like 10 minutes straight um, and work my way back to being able to handle like a three mile run again. And so I would say it would, it would take about two weeks, but again, that's coming off of being injured for a while. Um, and depend, it, it really would depend on the injury too. But, but yeah, I always think that that's a common mistake athletes make is they come back a little too quick or they run too many and, it's okay to do run walks just to make sure that, you know, if you're super injury prone, that's, that's what we would want you to do. Right. Um, run walks. Also, I think the reason that like our, um, our doctor recommends doing that when you come back from an injury, just because you're not getting all of those like endorphins that are getting released and you're not masking the pain with that. So if you're doing a run walk, it's more just to like test out, like, am I feeling pain? And then during the walking interval, you say, you like check in with yourself and say like, no, I think I feel good. And then it gives you a chance to run again. And then you get those intervals to see, do I feel hurt or not? Versus if you go out on a three or four mile run and then afterwards you're like, oh shoot, my, uh, you know, my shin still hurts or whatever it is. It's just better to do it in the increments because when you're running a longer run, um, you know, longer than like 10, 20 minutes, you're getting those endorphins coming out and they will mask pain and that's never good. So you've really got to be careful coming back, making sure you're not doing too much and keeping the runs a little bit shorter. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So any tips for people who are injured now or have been injured, like how should they plan out their year? Let's say they have really big goals that they want to achieve and they're motivated and they're willing to do all the work, cross training, PT, but like right now they're just coming back or, um, yeah. Like how would they frame that up? I would, you know, if you're not currently working with a coach, I would definitely have one because then you just have someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of and, and keep you accountable to make sure you're, you know, you're training smart. And then you got, obviously they're going to be in charge of kind of developing your training plan and telling you when to do this and that. And so that will allow you to progress slowly and to, you know, not overload yourself. Um, You definitely don't want to be adding your, you know, mileage and intensity at the same time. So each week, when you look at your week to week, we should not see increases in both of those ever. Um, And then I think it's just making sure you're giving yourself those extra days rest if you're an injury prone runner, Um, or if you're really motivated, then you can be cross training. Cause I think a big, big fear people have is they're going to lose all this fitness if they can't run. Um, or, Oh, I should take a day off, but I don't, I'm not that quite injured yet. Um, and I just want to run instead of bike, but you can bike for a couple of weeks at a time and really not lose any fitness. So I think it's really important to remember. It takes a few, it takes a while to start losing fitness. Um, Right. I think they say like you start losing fitness after two weeks, but it kind of plateaus for a while. Like you're just going to be at more of a reduced fitness, but that fitness is so easy to gain back that it's like not even worth it to freak out or panic about. I think the biggest thing is people, they get out of sorts with their running. Um, Like if you were to take a whole week off, you're not going to lose fitness, but your body is kind of like, whoa, I haven't done this in a whole week. And the whole going to the bathroom thing and just reminding your body how to do it. You know, if you do something every day, 
it's really easy. But if you kind of take a, a little bit of time off, I think mentally um, athletes think they lose fitness faster than they do. Um, but really they, uh, it, it doesn't happen as drastically as most people think it does. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So that's really good advice in terms of coming back and setting goals. And I always like to say like, don't, don't focus too much on time goals when you're coming back and, just it's better to like not count your mileage not look at numbers because really the biggest goal for you if you're an injury prone runner if you're injured right now is to stay healthy I mean if you're not running the, the one thing that you want to do is be running again right so the last thing you want to do is jeopardize that by focusing too much on the things that don't matter like if you're focusing so much on the numbers that you just blatantly don't listen to your body and you, you know, accidentally do a little bit too much too soon because you're trying to hit, you know, X number of miles or X time or whatever it might be. Um, that's always just really devastating when, when you see that happen. And so I think the biggest thing is just tuning out all sorts of numbers. So we don't care about weekly mileage. And I mean, we care because we want to make sure you're not doing too much, but we're not trying to get back to hitting, you know, 45 miles a week, you know, like that's not a goal. Um, another right. goal I think is, you're not going to try to, you know, run X time and X race at X distance and try to PR. I don't think that's a good goal. I think a good goal is listening to your body, um, being able to run without injury and feeling good on your runs. I think that's another good goal. Um, those are what you should be focusing on. I think for the first six months, and it's good to have those long-term goals or those time goals in your mind. Like, let's say your, your long-term goal, you want to run a Boston qualifying time. That's awesome. And that's obviously a time-based goal. Like, so I'm not going to say you can never have those, but I'm saying in the here and now your short-term goals shouldn't be, I need to make, you know, eight minute pace feel comfortable right now. Um, because that's not really what your goal is in the short term. Your goal is to stay healthy and you got to really prioritize that over your other goals. Because if you don't have your health, you're not going to be able to reach those goals ever. So it's better to lay that strong foundation. And then once you've been injury free for, you know, several months on end, feeling good, listening to your body, then look back at the data and say, what have I been doing? Because this is obviously working. And your number one thing moving forward into those more aggressive goals is maintaining whatever you've been doing so that you can stay injury free. Um, so it's not the time to go, okay, I, it's been six months without an injury and I've been doing 30 miles a week and that's working really, really well for me. What you don't want to do is just like say, all right, so now it's time to marathon train and I'm going to run 40 miles a week or I'm going to run 45, you know, like it's always gradual and you right. don't want to introduce new things um, just because you feel like you've graduated from a certain status because that's not the case at all. It's like you're making improvements when you're running injury free because you're able to improve your aerobic base and actually gain fitness. Whereas if you get injured, then you have to start the whole process again. So I think taking six months, focusing on building your base, removing all the numbers from it. And then when you, you start training for, you know, a goal race again with goal times, don't make sure you're still implementing those same um, strategies that you were the six months prior. Yeah. Very well said. Um, everything you said in the last two minutes here, I couldn't have said it better myself. A lot of times, you know, when you show up to races, people ask you or they write on your, your posts online, you know, what are your goals? And that's a tough question to answer. And a lot of times, they're expecting you here a certain time. And in reality, your goal should be just to be healthy and um, to feel strong and to maybe surprise yourself. That's been my goal all year is, you know, showing up to these races and, and doing maybe a little bit better than I thought I could. 
and not setting, not being so gung ho on hitting this certain time. So I really like what you said. Um, I think the last questions on here were about supplements. Do you want to touch on that quickly or? Yeah. So I know that's a big question that a lot of people ask me. I am by yeah. no means an expert on supplements, nor am I really on injury, but it's just a fun topic to talk about. Um, so in terms of supplements, I know like me and you kind of have different views on it. I kind of am more on the side of, I'm not really sure that they work. <laughs> you know, some people say it just makes your pee really expensive. <laughs> um, yeah. I've taken, I've gone through phases where like I take them. And I, I feel like they make a difference. Um, one of the ones that I, I do, out of all the ones that I think make a big difference for runners, I think glucosamine would be, like, number one on the list. Um, it's supposed to be, like, a lubricant for your, your joints and all of that thing. Um, and I actually do notice a difference when I take that one. But the other yeah. ones, like, in, in terms of, like, the multivitamins and the vitamin D and the magnesium and all of those, um, what is, like, your stance on them? And do you think they help you? Um, yeah, it's – I've gone back and forth on this, too. And it doesn't help when you watch one of those Netflix documentaries <laughs> about it because then you're all, you're all twisted. But I've kind of always taken a multivitamin at least. Um, you know, for the most part, I try to take it daily. And, you know, then there's that whole debate too on, well, what's, what's a good multivitamin? Do you need to make sure it's a, you know, it's something from like a Whole Foods or, you know, Garden of Life or something, or can you get the cheap brand at Target, you know? And so there's obviously a lot of controversy around multivitamins, but I just think that, um, you know, I take that and then glucose me when I notice I'm sore after like hard workouts or races, I'll for sure take that just, just to, you know, just mentally think, oh, this will help me recover. And then I take an occasional like fish oil or extra vitamin D or something. But um, obviously, you know, protein powder is considered a supplement. So I'll supplement some of that into a smoothie. Um, do I think it helps? It's I, here's here's my stance. So the average adult is supposed to eat, what, three to five servings of vegetables every day. Right? Oh, I feel like and it's probably, more than that. It's probably, probably like I think six to ten. Well, well now, now the new recommendation is a food plate. So half your plate should be fruits and veggies. But the old recommendation was three to five veggies, two to four fruits a day. And so that's for the average adult. And I probably eat, eat about that. But I feel like I should be eating more than that because, you know, I'm a runner and I'm, I'm burning more calories and I'm, I need more fuel in the tank. So I need more of these vitamins and minerals to repair my muscles and um, to increase my depleted muscle storages. So I feel like why not? add in the vitamins just in case I'm not getting a certain mineral or a certain vitamin I may be lacking in my diet and that'll help kind of, you know, fill in those gaps. So that's kind of my take on it, but everyone can do their own research. I just, I feel better mentally when I'm, when I'm using that. Um, so, right. I think that one of the documentaries that we watched said that it's kind of like an insurance policy, you know, like you don't know if you're getting all your right. vitamins, so you're taking that multi. But at the same time, like when you take that multi, it's like a very, very high dose of like every single vitamin. So you're hitting over 100% on every single one. So a lot of it's not even really being absorbed. My whole take is I think the biggest thing you can do, like one of the controllables that you have as an athlete is, you know, your diet. And so I look at why would yeah. I take this supplement? Like you said, oh, I'm not getting enough vegetables. I'm not getting enough fruit. I always think of that more as I should be addressing that source of the problem where I'm like, okay, if I'm not eating yeah. enough fruits and vegetables, that's what I need to be doing instead of, oh, well, I didn't eat enough fruits and vegetables today. So I'm going to take a pill. Um, I always <laughs> just think, <"What?" laughs> right? Like, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. like to think that way. So I'm like, 
okay, if I'm really actually lacking in something, like some people are low iron, like, yeah, you need a supplement, right? Like you actually need one. Um, right. Some people get their blood tested by inside tracker. They do um, blood testing and they realize, oh, like I'm low vitamin D or I'm low vitamin and whatever you can supplement with that because you're actually low and deficient in it. But a lot of people, they don't have deficiencies naturally. Um, if you know, you're eating a regular diet, uh, I don't think I've ever had a deficiency in my life. I know low iron is very common in women. I have never had that or experienced that. I've never really had low anything um, anytime I've got my blood drawn. But I still have taken multivitamins, uh, you know, on and off throughout the years. But my biggest thing is I want to be eating a diet that's going to be fueling my body and giving me as much of the nutrients as possible. Um, so whenever I'm planning my meals for the week or planning what I'm going to be eating, I always think, how can I get more of the micronutrients involved? Because that's really why you're taking some of these supplements like the multivitamin. Um, I just right. need to make sure like I'm getting enough uh, of everything across the board. Like you said, fish oil. I'm always trying to eat like fish, you know, <laughs> like a salmon. I really like to eat uh, salmon and other fishes because it comes with that healthy oil and same with adding avocado to things. I mean, there's, there's, um, the same sort of supplements in a natural source that you can add to your diet. So Correct. Yeah. I think that's always like the good first bet. And then if, whether or not you like to yeah. add supplements to your life and you think it's beneficial, um, it's definitely something that a lot of people utilize, you know, a lot of people will take a multivitamin, oh, yeah. a lot of people take various supplements um and i think if it works for you and you feel like it helps you like why not just go for whatever you feel works um at the current moment <laughs> i'm not really taking any um sort of supplements right now um because you know the last time i, I took a, i was taking a bunch for like a week because i had gotten really sick and then i just wasn't getting better i got even more sick and i'm like you know what screw this and i just stopped taking them it's very on and off um i yeah. i just I'm never yeah, really well, consistent with it. Your running's going well right now. And so, again, I think it's about it, – it could be a little placebo. Um, I think it, if you ask medical professionals, you're going to get both ends of the extreme. Some are going to, you know, recommend taking certain things, and others are going to say it's all a waste. So it really probably just depends on your own personal opinion. I don't know if science has supported a stronger case for one right. way or well the other. I mean, um, like when I go to the doctor, because they always ask, like, what sort of medications are you taking? And, you know, you list them and then they're like, well, are you taking any supplements? And then I've told them, like, uh, when I'm in seasons where I actually am taking the supplements, I'll be like, oh, well, yeah, I'm taking, you know, and I list all my supplements. And I'm not joking you. They literally ask, why are you taking those? Like I said, I multivitamin, glucosamine. And I was like, oh, yeah. well, I thought it was good for you. And they were like, well, unless you have a deficiency. And I just feel like they made me feel like I didn't need to be taking them or that right. I shouldn't, um, which was interesting. I don't exactly remember the whole detail of the conversation, but it was funny to be in that medical setting and thinking, oh, these are healthy supplements. <laughs> and then they'd be like, what are you doing taking these? Um, so it's definitely good to check with your doctor, too, because a lot of people are on other medications and stuff that they're on. And it's just really important to like check with your doctor to see like, do you think I should be taking this? Or is this going to impact, you know, this medication that I'm taking? And so that's always a really good point. Um, maybe we didn't chat about that. But just check with your doctor. Ask if these supplements could be beneficial to you before you just like go out to the store and go supplement happy. A great idea. All, All right. right. Well, thanks for chatting today about, you know, injuries and then at the end supplements there. We really appreciate your expertise in this area and sharing all your wisdom because um, I know you've had a few injuries over the years. Yeah, no problem. I, I really hope the listeners can take away something at least from today and, 
and apply that to their own, their own training. So. Right. And if you have been struggling with an injury and you want to work with a coach who has helped athletes come back from an injury, because we definitely have helped like hundreds of athletes come back from injuries. Um, They come to us and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm injured. How do I, you know, frame up my training now that I've taken two or three months off. Um, we have helped a lot of runners in that area, just coming back, easing in, and we can be your support system. So if you want um, coaching or you just want to chat more about like your unique situation, you can go to www.run4prs.co and chat with one of our coaches today. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes, but thanks for listening.